0: Welcome to the Learning 2019 podcast, where we help you get the most from your conference experience with insights, daily guides, and presenter interviews. I'm your host, Clint Clarkson, and in today's session, we sit down with one of LD's most likable characters, Nigel Payne. Nigel is an author, speaker, former CLO, and one of the most knowledgeable LD thought leaders available today. But perhaps more importantly, Nigel is authentic and empathetic to the challenges LD professionals face. In this episode, Nigel discusses the current state of workplace learning and the steps L&D professionals can take to create the most value for their organizations. We're sure that you'll find it insightful. Nigel, thank you so much for joining us for the the first Learning 2019 podcast recording. And I want to ask a really important question of you. Uh, Nigel Payne, really likable guy at lots of the conferences. Uh, one of the things I personally love about you is you will show up sometimes and you're ready for business and you've got that look of the CLO. And then other times you will show up in a hoodie and you look comfortable and you're with the audience and engaging. Uh, you, you've got this sort of neat character. And I think it would be great for everyone listening to know a bit more about Nigel Payne and how you became Nigel Payne, L&D superhero. What is the origin story?
1: I'm still aspiring to that, Clint, but that's very (laughs) kind of you. And it's an honor and a pleasure to be on the podcast. So thank you very much for the invitation. I really appreciate it. Um, How did I get to be where I got? I suppose out of, um, partly out of doing it, you know, that one of the things that drives me mad about certain pundits around L&D is that they've never actually done the job. And Mm. I've been there. I've been a CLO. I know exactly what it's like. And I'm very sympathetic when people tell me the limitations the pressures what is what what the world and the environment that they actually have to deliver day in day out so I'm not one of these people who stands apart and says oh you should be doing this and you should be doing that get in there and realize that it's actually quite a tough job and particularly in large companies where everything is being defined so that's one thing I, I've done it and secondly you know I, I have worked around the world with l and 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 others and CEOs in organizations so I've got a pretty good idea of what works and what doesn't work and where people should be moving and where they shouldn't but my philosophy is not to kind of bomb be bombastic and bombard people with you must it's really to open their eyes to possibilities and I think if you can open people's eyes to possibilities, you've got a much better chance of building change. One of my favorite words is experiment." And I say that again and again to people, "Hey, don't bet the bank. Just a little experiment. Try it. What have you got to lose? Just try that. See if I'm right, and if I'm not, what have we lost? We've lost very little, no no, or hardly any money, and hardly any time. But if it works, hey, we've sown the seeds of something great. And I think, above all that people in learning are important. And as the world gets more crazy, they become more important. Because the only way any of us are gonna survive in this world is to learn, relearn, and be confident, lifelong learners. Who's gonna facilitate that? Guess, you yeah. know, all of our friends out there. So that's what I do. So I teach, I teach on a doctoral program at the University of Pennsylvania. I teach for Chicago Booth on their executive education. I work with companies, I do research, I write books. So I have quite, a, I, I think quite a varied, interesting life. Other people would say it's a nightmare, but for me, I get a lot of variety and I get a lot of insights and I learn and I try to share the learning, it's as simple as that.
0: So would you say then, that the trick or route to becoming an L&D superhero if I, if I can use that terminology a bit verbose but uh, a a, a, good way to, a good way to say it because a lot of people want to be really successful in this career and there's a lot of people working really hard to make a difference in their organizations. Yeah. Would you say that doing the work and getting involved and being a part of it is really the key to getting to that level and being successful in learning and development?
1: I, I just think people spot a charlatan at five paces. Hmm. Now, the 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 people who tell you what to do without any real knowledge of the pressures, uh, the day-to-day pressures that people are under and the constraints in which they work, uh, are never going to, they're not going to become superheroes or anything, really. I think they're just going to uh, tra- plow their furrow and, and focus on themselves. So, yes, and it's working within the constraints to deliver the opportunities. That's the key. And just to tell people it's all about opportunities is ridiculous. It's not fair. It's just not fair because it's hard. I'm never, ever going to pretend that this is easy stuff. And in many organizations, you're fighting for attention fighting for anyone's headspace. Therefore, it's not easy to get movement, to make an impact and, and be where you want to be, which is right at the heart of organizational development and organizational success.
0: Could you expand a bit based on your experience both as a CLO and working with CLOs? How do individuals from L&D within an organization go about getting the ear of and then getting the, that, that messaging? To the individuals that can that can actually influence that in a, in a significant or immediate way,
1: I, I I think there are a couple of things you should do. But the the one that resonates for most people in most organisations is go find out what is stopping people being their best at work. If you just talk to a whole range of staff at every level, not the senior executives, get right into the weeds and talk to people about their jobs and say what could we do to make your job easier, to make it more efficient, to help you be better at what you do? And people will tell you, they'll share their frustrations. If you can encapsulate that and present that to the executive and say, these are the problems that I think we can solve or we can begin to solve. Will you come with us on that? Only a a completely crazy executive would say, we're not interested in solving problems. They all are. And if you focus on how we can make this organization more productive, more effective, deliver better, rather than how do we increase the amount of learning? No one cares about that, really. Fundamentally, no one cares. So I, I don't think that's your conversation opener. It's about increasing productivity, increasing effectiveness, increasing engagement, and increasing happiness at work. You know, I, I'm not embarrassed about talking about those things. I think people should be a way, way more comfortable with their work than most people are. And that there are still far, far too many people right the way across the world and, and right the way across the US who absolutely loathe their jobs. And it's usually because of the deep frustration they feel when they try to do anything. You know, there's barriers thrown at them and the pressure is put on them. So I think L and D has got a massive role in easing that pressure and helping people. And you, people, the workforce need to see L&D as a group who can support them and help them, not a group who get in the way and force them to do rubbish like compliance and bore them and, and stop them doing work. It's got to be to help them do work. And that is the problem. The LD and d is not, off, not always loved. And, and it's very hard for l d people to recognise that, in some circumstances, in many organizations, you're kind of the enemy, not the, not the friends, because you just create barriers. You've got to split that completely to be the people who make life easier, not make life more difficult.
0: Now, you released a YouTube video that I think fits into the, the dialogue so far here, where, uh, this, I believe this is from April of 2019, there's a YouTube video called Key Trends in Workplace Learning, and, and this is a quote from it learning inside organizations is changing dramatically. It's probably going to change more in the next two to three years than it has in the last 20. And based on what you're describing right now, it sounds like the the importance of L&D making that shift, if, if they haven't already, towards being a contributor to the organization and, and convincing the rest of the organization that they are a contributor by making contributions, obviously. Uh, could you elaborate a little bit more on that, uh, sort of tying those two things together, the, the shift that's happening or that is going to happen in learning and development, and then the role of L&D changing their own brand and, and yes. what they need to do there?
1: Yes, and that, those two things are obviously integrally linked. To be a fully functioning, useful L and D in the present and the future, you've got to change your brand and change change your identity and change what you do. I think that that I suppose there are a couple of keywords. One is velocity, that the speed of business. Things are hotting up. Disruption. That the complete technological transformation of many organizations makes it very much less stable than it used to be. And in a stable world, you can take six months to develop a nice program and get it right and have it go through 26 stages. In an unstable world, you need results tomorrow. So that L&D has to focus on solving problems. And if that means you have to do something that's quick and dirty and messy and takes 24 hours to implement, that is gonna be more useful than taking six months to do something perfectly. And I think that the big shift is the fundamental role of enabler facilitator and helping people do it for themselves and not creating dependency where we do it to you because we haven't got time and we haven't got capacity to do everything that needs to be done to every person in the workforce. They have to feel empowered and enabled and facilitated to do it for themselves. And if you can do that, then it makes L and D's life really easy because there's a whole bunch of stuff going on that they don't control, they they don't have any input to, but they're helping and creating the environment where it can take place. That is a massive shift. But I can't see any other way out of this quantum leap in learning that has to happen in organizations. So you know, basically if L and D could focus on building growth mindsets in staff rather than fixed mindsets i creating a cadre of people who believe in their ability to learn and believe in their ability to change and modify what they do because the organization is changing and demands it that will be a massive service for those individuals to stop them getting kind of flung out and for those organizations which will continue to be successful and relevant so that's why I said it, and, and I've I've nothing that has come across my desk in the last whatever how many months it is since I did that changed that. In fact, everything reinforces it. It's just that that velocity and the pressure which leaders in organisations are under. We have to come up with solutions, ways of making their life easier, not making it more complex, or not whinging on about something. Oh, we haven't got a big enough budget. Go find the the money will come. If you can prove you're doing the job, I can't believe any other solution.
0: Now, as you talk about that, one of the things that's running through my mind is that in the organizations that I've I've personally worked with or people that I've met within organizations at conferences and and other events, it seems like most organizations have some of it figured out, but not all of it. And that there needs to be a lot more conversation happening, inter-organization between learning and development leaders and and between executives. Obviously, that's happening probably more deliberately than it is at at the learning and development level. Uh, One of the events that you're chairing at the Learning 2019 conference is the lunch with the chief learning officers. Could you tell listeners... What that event is like, what could they could expect from it? Because there's, there's some high-level individuals. They're all CLOs and VPs from really big organizations, have a lot of insight, a lot of experience. What can an individual expect specifically from that event that you're chairing?
1: Well, the first thing is it's on the Monday. It's on, it's on the 28th at lunchtime. So you're, you're just getting into the conference in a way. And a lot of people go, oh, you know, it's my first lunchtime. I think it's worth investing less than an hour of your time because you're going to meet some absolutely amazing top CLOs, people who are in massive organizations, and those people share their insights with their friends in the room. So it, it is a Q&A session, but we're not talking about people who are beginning, on the, beginning their career or just starting. It's people who are at the peak of their career. And these women and men know what they're talking about. So come listen and come challenge them. We've never had a question yet that has been so hard or so challenging that the panel have gone, oh, well, that's too difficult. They know everything there is to know about contemporary learning and they're successful. So it's a unique opportunity to have a kind of head-to-head with a bunch of CLOs who are really at the heart of changing learning and organizations. So it's worth it for me. And often we get two or 300 in the room. And I always think, what happened to the other 900? You're missing a massive treat and a massive trick by not coming in. And you can go back and say, you know what you said? Can you give me some more details? And most of the people will do it willingly and happily. But you need that connection before that's going to happen. So it's it's. I've done it for many years, and I, I'm exhausted at the end of it because I'm running <laughs> around a big room and trying to get people, a, a fair balance of people who are asking questions. But the questions are always incredibly interesting, and the answers are even more interesting. So I think it's a great chance to learn from the best. And in many ways, if the whole conference was <laughs> learning from the best, it would be a good conference.
0: Yeah, that'd be that would be okay, wouldn't it? That would be. It would be okay. sort yeah, of a nice so. nice approach. Yeah, that uh, you've been in, involved with learning for a number of years, and yeah, and and you too many the, to if,
1: mention, if, Clint. Too many if, to
0: mention. <laughs> we, don't need, we don't need to go there. Uh, <laughs> we don't need to go there. But but you've over over the years you've seen this conference. Evolve. And a lot of people think that this is the best LD conference that's available. I mean, that, that's subjective. Uh, but what about this conference in particular makes it exciting? And in, in its evolution, how has it improved over time?
1: Well, I, it's a very good question. But what I love about the conference, what does make it different, is that it's not just one PowerPoint presentation after another. You know, the Elliot's focus on let's have limited PowerPoint in the parallel sessions and no PowerPoint in the general sessions. Let's have more conversations. And there's a, a, a studious and deliberate attempt to get people together, to get them to network and talk to each other. And what you find is that people learn as much from the other people in the conference as they do from the, you know, the big people on stage. So the other thing is that it's always got its finger on the button. So that if something is exciting and new, it will be dealt with in the conference so not necessarily deep techie conference it's not like that there are other conferences that are more deep techie but in terms of looking and scoping where D is going there is no better conference and i've really enjoyed i've I've been some fabulous sessions and i've really enjoyed meeting people and the, the, the the conference attendees are usually pretty senior in organizations and they usually kind of want their value for money and they want their questions answered. And that means you have very challenging conversations. So I've had some great sessions that, that where I, I I remember one session when I was talking about the challenges facing CLOs and I had a whole kind of thing uh, I had it all planned. And I said, well, let's just pull out. What are your challenges in the room? And in five minutes we'd filled up two flip charts. And I said, Well, you know, which is the most important? And they all voted on the most important. So we talked about it. And they said, Well, what about the next one? We talked about it. And then the, the hour was gone. I, I didn't do any any of the things that I'd prepared. We focused on what was going on in the room. And I walked away thinking, I should do more of that. Because I thought it was incredibly engaging. We had some great discussion and <laughs> nothing that I had I, I thought I would would have said I said because it was really interesting and interested in what people what was concerning people, not what I thought concerned people. So it it, it can be a it can be a, a great varied, fun group of people trying to do things that are not always directly about learning. There's some really oblique issues. Like for example, on my general session on the last morning which I hope people come to. I hope they all stay around for it. I'm kicking it off with Robert Swan. Robert is an Antarctic and Arctic explorer. Robert is not a CLO, and he would never be a CLO. But what he has to say about leadership and learning is really, really interesting. You don't get that at other conferences. You don't get Antarctic explorers (laughs) turning up at other learning conferences. But this conference allows that, allows that breadth and and allows the kind of weird and oblique to, to take place. So I'm 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 excited about this conference as I am every year.
0: And it feels like, just just based on my own experiences with learning, that much like TED does with their TEDx talks and, and their their TED conference, where they work with the individuals coming in to make sure that they will create enough value for the audience at the conference. And it feels like learning puts a lot of effort into that, making sure that each individual is prepared, that the event that they're hosting, whether that's an intensive or a hallway experience or a concurrent session, that they're ready for that and that they're ready to deliver it at learning. Uh, A lot of other conferences, I've literally never talked to anyone until I'm standing at the front of the room giving a presentation. So there is there is a very deliberate effort to make that happen. Uh, before yes, we wrap this I up, I, I'd like to ask a, a specific question about one of your sessions. Uh, it, it is at 9.15 a.m. on Tuesday the 29th. It's called Look Up If You Want to Build a Learning Culture never start with learning. I really liked that line just as, a, as an individual quote. Tell us what that means and what people could expect if they attend that event with you.
1: Well, I, I wanted, my latest book is about learning culture because my perception is that if you can build a learning culture, the learning takes care of itself. So the culture is what will support and encourage people to learn and share and so on. But I also wanted to write a book which which was The philosophy of it was, don't bury down in the weeds. Don't look down and say, oh, we need a course here. I mean, look up, look at the big world, look at the organization and put in what is necessary to make that organization successful. And I I think learning culture is a very, very important part of the general organization culture. But you don't get a learning culture by increasing the quantum of learning. You get a learning culture by building trust by building a climate and technologies for sharing, uh, by great leadership that embodies those values of trust and openness and sharing knowledge. So the, the, what I'm, what I'm going to do in that session is share the very simple model of learning culture. And one of the, things I, the reasons that led me to write the book was that so many models of learning culture are incredibly complicated. Like Senge <laughs> with his fifth discipline, his 15 learning disabilities, his 21 laws. You go, you go cross-eyed even thinking about it. I've got a very, very simple model, stage one, stage two, that, that delivers or begins to deliver the process of learning culture. And my message isn't that learning culture is, is the end of a massive journey that you've got to go on. Anyone can start to build the conditions. Whatever the state of learning is in your organization, you can begin. And I think that's a very optimistic message for everyone. I I think you should start that process, even in a very small way, because it will pay you back. You get the people on your side. You get the, the members of the organization on your side. They will deliver in spades and make you look unbelievably fantastic. And that's a good thing. That's a good result, I think.
0: That's a very good result and a very different result than a lot of L and D practitioners are yes. experiencing. Yes. Uh, how many organizations have you encountered in your work that when you before you do any work with them, when you come in the door, are very close to having a true culture of learning inside their organization? Not just the we have a culture of learning value statement they put on a poster somewhere, but an organization oh, that really truly does value yes. learning and 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 that. Not just leadership but the the frontline employees understand their role in learning uh, How many organizations do you encounter that are, that are that are there?
1: Well I've got I think five or six case studies in the book of organizations who are there but the interesting thing is that not one of them talks about we have a learning culture they talk <laughs> about com- they talk about completely different other things but by meeting those organizations and by working with uh, their staff you know it was obvious that that's what they did So there are enough to be able to point the way forward but many organizations actually claim that they are (laughs) they are learning organizations and some of them are so far from being learning organizations it's almost embarrassing and that was another thing i wanted to clarify what it meant so that you know i had one very large organization say oh we're pretty close to building a learning organization we're just about to establish our corporate university and i said well What in a corporate university do you think leads you to assume that that's a learning culture? And it's this notion that it's about quantum. And it's also the notion that if individuals are all sorted out, you've got a learning culture. It's actually much more about the sharing. It's the problem-solving. It's the moving of insight from outside to inside and turning that into action. That's much more the embodiment of a learning culture. And there are organizations that are doing that. And if you read the book, you'll see the the detailed case studies that explain what they are and where they are but the other thing you'll find if you read the case studies is these organizations are very very different so there's no identical formula for a learning organization it's about understanding what your organization needs and building the conditions that will allow people to explode in terms of how they learn how they share how fast they can they can take those insights and turn it into as i said turn it into action that's the, at the end of the day A learning culture allows an organization to act, not think, not learn, not smile dreamily at the horizon, act, do stuff, take decisions, get better at what they do. That's the essence of it.
0: That's a powerful statement and probably a great place for us to wrap this up. Thank you so much, Nigel. Uh, For anyone who wants to reach Nigel, you can find him at nigelpain.com, N-I-G-E-L-P-A-I-N-E dot com. As I was trying to find it, I kept leaving out the E. That's not quite right. And of course, you can see him both at his general sessions at the uh, lunch with the chief learning officers and the general session on Wednesday at the Learning 2019 conference. Thanks so much, Nigel. Absolute
1: pleasure to talk to you, Clint. The very best. And I will see you at Learning 19.
0: That was Nigel Payne on the Learning 2019 podcast. For more great insights from Nigel, look for his conference sessions or for his newest book, Workplace Learning. How to Build a Culture of Continuous Employee Development at the ATD Bookstore. You won't be disappointed. For more episodes of this podcast, search any of the Learning 2019 social media channels for the hashtag L19Podcast or subscribe to the eLearning Alchemist podcast where this podcast is hosted on your favorite podcast app. We hope you'll tune in again for more great content from Learning 2019.